Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm trying to figure out how to break that up because I basically say the same thing. And I, I tried different inflections there, but I don't know, whatever. If you, if any of you have some suggestions on how I can change up the intro, let me know. Cause I just, I just lock in a pattern and it's comfortable and you sit there and you do it and it's dependable. Anyways, I am your host, Ray Harkins, and we are at episode number 30, 40, 40, 40. That's where we're at. Um, the dirty, four, dirty, third, no, dirty 30. 40s over the hill. I don't know. Not like these are actual years. These are just weeks. But um, anyways, I have a very special guest on this week. Uh, I recorded it uh, a little bit ago, but um, yeah, I I was really excited about it. John Feldman. He is from the band Goldfinger. He is a platinum recording artist, and he is also a platinum recording engineer, producer, all that stuff. Um, so more about him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. Check it out. All the latest and greatest on all of the music that you care about, all of the tours you care about, everything you care about in regards to music will be located there. So visit propertyofzack.com. And um, yeah, we love our partnership with them. And uh, don't fuck around. Go visit the website. Learn some shit. Uh, and also... Visit the website. When I say the website, I mean the podcast's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Towards the end of last year, I posted uh, top five lists from a lot of our previous guests, and uh, it's people seem to enjoy that. We got a lot of you know sort of feedback and uh, you know likes on Tumblr and reblogs and all that fun stuff. So um, yeah, check it out. I try to put up a decent amount of content each week either recommendations, good music, good movies, whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, check it out. And review the show. We're, uh, we're getting closer to the magical 100 mark as far as 100 star reviews. Uh, so yeah, go there, spend three seconds, give it a star rating, spend a minute and write some words about the show. Uh, I do appreciate that when people do that. And uh, I wish I could give them a digital high five, even if they're critical of it, even if they're like, you know what? I like the way that the show used to be back in the day when you had two of your friends on with you. I get that. Totally fine. I unfortunately can't do that anymore because it's pretty difficult to schedule with that many people. But, um, so yeah, for the foreseeable future, this is what you get. So, uh, but I appreciate the feedback regardless. Anyways, notice how I was kind of like defensive with that. I was like, but no, this is how it is. Like you have to deal with it. I think it's just so funny. Anytime you have any sort of critique, um, you know, your mind immediately goes on the defense and it's like, well, wait, what do you mean? Like, what? that's kind of fucked up. You doesn't, you don't like this. You don't like what I'm doing. And I always try to constantly remind myself, like, no, 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 no. That's just pe- someone being honest. Like, chill out. And I am chilled out. So, um, before we get into the show and the interview, a uh, few random things that have been on my mind as of late. Um, th- and I can't remember where this was derived from, but or what sparked the thought, but how none of us have a really unique experience. So... That premise of, you know, okay, I look at myself personally. So here I am, white dude, 
into hardcore music, into punk music, into independent culture. Um, I myself label my, I am straight edge myself and I label myself as such. So no drinking, no drugs, alcohol, that type of stuff. Um, I also, uh, you know, have a, have a dietary thing going on. You know, I've been vegetarian vegan for most of my life. Um, so, you know, I definitely am a niche of a niche of a niche and, you know, you kind of drill down and obviously the fewer people you have that put those sort of labels on themselves. Um, but you know, when it boils down to it, it's like, I, I may be unique in the sense of the term where, you know, I walk into a mall and, you know, you interview a hundred people and it, maybe me and one other person have some of those labels. But, you know, realistically, there's a lot of people that have similar experiences to you, no matter how unique your experience is. Um, you know, it could be, I think, I think this came from the fact that I've had a lot of people, um, talking to me recently in regards to my grandmother passing away. And it just, it's very strange because this holiday season, um, like death has kind of been around, which is strange because, um, when I say around, I say some of my coworkers have experienced loss, um, and some of my other friends have experienced loss. And so it's kind of weird to have that all sort of in the two month period of just like, oh, wow, like that's a lot. Um, but I think on the flip side of the uh, callousness of the, we have no unique experiences. Everybody's experienced the same shit that you have. So don't think that you're unique is the fact that there's common bonds. Like we obviously try to reach out to one another. Um, you know, we really, we all crave that experience of having at least one person who you could be like, you know what? I can go to them. I can, they can offer me advice, a shoulder to cry on, whatever the case may be. Um, they can be that person that's there to support me, whether it's a friend or a family member. Um, and I think for me, that always gives me some comfort where it's like, even if I don't see what I consider my close friends on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis, it's the fact that I know I can pick up the phone, I can call them for something as stupid as a ride from the airport or something as, as, you know, monumental as like, oh, I've experienced death or someone is sick in my family or a friend of mine is sick or whatever, um, that they will be there to support me. And um, yeah, so I just, you know, kind of, because I think the way that the internet culture is, is like, even though we're all more connected, we obviously feel more distant from one, one another because we do uh, spend a lot of our times in front of a computer. Um, and we do, I think it's so funny when you run into a person who you haven't seen in a while but you obviously follow them on whatever social network they're a part of, you kind of feel like you can just step right back into it, which is cool. And I love that because there's never that sort of awkward, like, Oh, what have you been up to? Where do you work? Like, cause you know, that, um, you know, I think that for me, that gets old really quick. I'm just like, I just want to get through that and like, know what you're up to. And then like, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? So, um, anyways, that's been on my mind. Um, John Feldman. He's in Goldfinger. Goldfinger still performs. Goldfinger still tours. They're just smart about it. They're not out 300 some odd days of the year. But uh, yeah, John Feldman, he, uh, everyone has always spoken so highly of him, uh, you know, and that's really difficult within the music industry to navigate all these waters, deal with so many different people and no one be like, yo, fuck that guy. He's a dick or whatever. Um, everybody that's ever worked with him that I know, um, everybody that's worked with him professionally, casually, whatever, has always said really positive things about him. So, um, 
I do a lot of work with John in my day job. And so uh, I just, you know, casually one day in an email chain that we were shooting back and forth to one another, I said, hey, would you be interested in coming on the show? And he was like, oh, I'd love to do that, um, which was great because I don't know, I'm always, for people that I don't know really well, I'm always scared to ask them to do this show because even though it is fun and obviously gives them an opportunity to kind of express themselves in a different way, I always feel that sense of reject. I feel like I'm like asking a girl to dance and she's like, ah, you know what? No. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, but anyways, John was super gracious, had me over at his house and his recording studio. Um, super nice place. It's awesome to see all of the hard work that he's put in, you know, be able to pay off and be able to, you know, give a nice home to his, his family and his daughters and all that type of stuff. So um, anyways, we covered a lot of shit. So I've talked for way too long. Here it is. And being from Southern California, third wave ska, like, I mean, give me a break. You could not escape that in any way, shape, or form. And my own personal background is like more of a punk and a hardcore kid. But um, just seeing how pervasive that was of like obviously all the shows that existed in Orange County. Um, but it was funny because like most of it, I just, it just didn't appeal to me. It was just like, eh, whatever. Like, because I like, dated a girl that, you know, we'd go to, she'd go to my hardcore shows, I would go to her ska shows. And so it's like seeing a lot of these bands that were, you know, in all honesty, just terrible in my own mind. But then what you, like what Goldfinger and what you guys did, um, there was a certain edge to it that appealed to me where it was like a little, like, oh, it's a little more quote unquote aggressive. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was something that was so interesting. And I think, um, like, I, I really do believe that this, that sort of movement could have not existed anywhere else in the country. Like, it just seemed to kind of hit everything in Southern California. Like, because I just don't, you know, that couldn't have happened in, like, Connecticut. It couldn't have happened in Florida, you know? Did you, like, did was that something that you, like, looking back on, like, would you agree with that statement, or is it, like... Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, in, in hindsight, though, I, I think our best shows... Yeah. I don't want to say best shows, but some of our greatest shows have been in the Northeast, in Connecticut. Really? In Boston, New York City. I mean... And I think that there obviously is a tie into, you know, there's a couple bands that I think slip between second wave and third wave, third oh, wave sure. like Fishbone, the Mighty Mighty Boston. Yep. It kind of came before what Southern California did. And because the Boston's were such a big band right. in, uh, on the East Coast, I think there was a connection that was made between what we were doing here and what they had already done sure. on the East Coast. But for some odd reason, like we just did a tour in June right. a few months ago and every show was sold out. and. It was all kind of northeast. It, it, we went down, we ended in uh, Norfolk, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And, so we, and right. we started up Providence. So we kind of just did all basically the east, you know, northeast. And sure. It was, it was unbelievably great. And we're talking, if we started towards the end of 93. Yeah. Um, and now it's 2012. You know, we're going on, we're 19 years yeah, yeah. As, as a group. Um, and clearly, like, uh, you know, we had a huge success kind of right at radio when our first album came out. And then we kind of maintained it for 
for th for three albums we did really well and it, and it was great and then it sort of you know I sort of started producing and right. we didn't really continue touring to the extent that we did but just to think that even though we kind of it definitely lulled of course we're not in the heyday of the 97 Superman Tony Hawk no, no. <laughs> but still to sell out this tour is, is, a, is a big deal to, oh it, for sure to me it, it feels like we were part of something yep that um that that mattered and it still and it still matters and it wasn't just about well it a great song totally and it, it wasn't yeah I, I I was that was something I was going to address later on where uh, the idea that it's like you know to be able to survive and I use that word very literally survive having such a successful song at radio and being able to still you know put records out after that that are still of that sort of quality like I mean that's really difficult to do I mean you see obviously so many bands get chewed up in the system and it's like you know after one song hits where it's like all right where's the next one like and you know sometimes it just doesn't happen and then they obviously want it to be as successful as the first one if not more and it's just like to be able to be where you're at right now and still play in front of people that are passionate about it shows that obviously it wasn't just this this fad you know that wasn't just this moment in time mm. and it does I mean, this is my career. It's where right. I, I'm, I'm in the music business, so I think about it day in and day out. Sure. And I think about how, like, sen I mean, since the internet revolution, I don't know if there's going to be another, like, Seattle of the early 90s, you know? Right. Or even, like, the, the pop punk thing that happened in the Bay Area, you know, in the mm -hmm. mid-90s. Like, like, those kind of scenes that happened. Yep. In a very specific area for sure. of the world, I just don't know if it can because you know the the scene now is the internet and the community is the internet, so it's a global scene. Yeah, and so if one person starts something in Manchester, like someone in Lubbock, Texas, can catch on the next yeah. day, and 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 that's kind of what what it is. And we came definitely out of a specific area scene, and. and I mean, I grew up on Southern California punk rock that yeah. wouldn't exist without the skate and the surf culture. And of I course. think the same goes for the ska punk culture of the 90s. You yep. know, it, it went hand in hand with skating and surfing. For sure. And, and it's not, you know, obviously people do surf on the East Coast. But <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, hard, you know, it's harder to skate when it's snow and ice everywhere. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's when different. you're out of pocket for four months because you can't do anything outside. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Southern California is not like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and obviously like coming from a, like punk rock roots, I mean to me, um, like the like the for me punk rock that changed my life started in color, Southern California. And it's right. like, I mean I love the Sex Pistols and I love the Clash and I love the Buzzcocks and they they definitely influenced me. But the stuff that made me want to play music came right. from Southern California. Right. You know, um, and I feel the same way about like the scene and and obviously like Pennywise and No Effects were a generation ahead of us sure and they had the epitaph and the fat records kind of scene and, right. and it was based in a great live show with great songs but it wasn't like on the radio it wasn't like yeah you know, oh no no for sure it was sort of like coming out of grunge it was it was the anti-grunge movement you yeah, know? yeah it yeah. was like we are alive we are here we are present right you know um and clearly all the sub genres of punk like hardcore and Sky all kind of went into the scene that, that we were in and yeah. affected it. But it came from, the roots came from touring, playing shows, and working really hard. It wasn't radio first. And bands no, that no. I work with now, like Neon Trees was just on TV, and I've worked with them. And, and they 
Um, and they're a great live band. Right. And I, and, and I have nothing but amazing things to say about it. I mean, um, Tyler's a vegan. It's yep. really great guys. For sure. Um, but they kind of, they came out of radio. Like, they had a massive hit at Radio to Animal. Right. And so they're gonna they're stuck to some extent with, with that, like, how do I write the next hit, the next right. hit, the next hit. Yeah. They have, and, to play, they have to play in that sandbox. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, and I just don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess there's Warped, like the underground, where to me, most of the bands are very similar sounding. With yep. double kick drum, every song has a breakdown. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> screaming, and then as soon as they start singing, fans think they sold out. Like that, every band is kind of the same <laughs> yeah. in that what metalcore. Right, kind of, whatever, whatever you like to call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, post-screamo. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. And, and, uh, and so, but that scene has a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like you can only really... So, I mean, I know I'm getting off subject, but no, I mean, no, no. just thinking about when, where I came from and how, and even though, like, by third record, we were affected dramatically by the internet. Of like, course. record sales were, so we were definitely affected, but we had two albums, really, like, 96 with our self-titled and yep. 97 with hang-ups. We weren't really affected, and both albums are right around gold, like 500,000. Yeah. And... I look at bands now that are starting, artists now that are starting, that don't have the ability to sell that kind of record. They don't have right. like a real foundation of a scene in their local town that they sure. can kind of cling on to. Right. So you've got to be so much better than I was in 93 when I started Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah. You have to be, because you have to create your own scene in right. your own town. Right. Like there's a band called 21 Pilots from Columbus, Ohio that, sure. that I was working with, and they literally created their own their own scene in their town and were selling out 2,000 seaters in Columbus. Right. And so everyone came to them. Came to them. Sure, sure. And that's kind of what you what you got to do where, where when it was us, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, brief, the brief history is like I'm selling shoes at Nana on the promenade. And right. Playing in my band, slip the demo tape in a shoebox to some record executive, get signed a week later, and we've been touring for a year, right. but and we've got a thing going in here, a little thing. We're opening yeah, for yeah. the Skeletons, we're opening for Bucko Nine, we've got sure. a little thing. But we played one show at South by Southwest where the booking agent for the Sex Pistols were there, and Kevin Weatherly, who um, does all the radio programming for K Rock, which is the biggest of alternative station in the in the world. Right. They were both there, and that one show cha- changed everything for us. And I guess that can still happen, yeah. but there needs to be so many more things. Twitter followers and Facebook. Of course, of course. There's, there's so there. You just look at it from the standpoint where there's obviously so much more input. There's so much more things that bands have to obviously maintain. Um, like you said, obviously every single social network needs to be the most important thing that you take care of. And there's obviously there was so much uh, less of that because you know there obviously wasn't that vehicle <laughs> to put forth with your band and like. There is, it's so funny because it's it's great that you can distinctly identify where it's like this show changed the way, the course of our band's life. And now, you know, these days, it's definitely more difficult to have that sort of pinpoint moment mm-hmm. to where it's like this show, you know, the, getting this out of the radio station, you know, this tour, um, it, it's, it's just more nebulous. It's more like, oh yeah, it's kind of this gradual climb um, or it is something, you know, it's like, obviously if you're like a YouTube phenomenon or something like that, it's much easier to identify. But, um, going back, kind of like born and raised in Southern California. I grew up in Saratoga, which is, uh, it's sister city to Los Gatos, which is by San Jose. Northern oh, California. okay. Sure. So I'd go every weekend to be in Santa Cruz and that was kind of my, my beach. I moved to San Diego in, um, 
85 mm-hmm. and then I moved to LA in 87. Okay. Um, and so I've been here since 87. I was in a, I was in like a funk metal kind of, I mean, we're, I love like Chili Peppers sort of rip off band sure. called the Electric Love Hogs in, right. in the, in the eighties. Um, and that just, it wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. Right. And, uh, and Goldfinger started in, in 93. Sure. And your, um, brothers and sisters? I have a sister, Margaret, that's two years younger. Okay. Um, and she's actually my first animal rights experience, you know, in, uh-huh. in high school. She was, uh, she was super animal rights. Um, and, and is this, is this still when, like when she was in high school, were you guys still up in Northern California? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, this yeah. is like late seventies, early eighties. Sure. <laughs> she became vegetarian when, <clears throat> God, she must've been, um, in eighth seventh or eighth grade oh wow she became vegetarian and i mean and that that area is definitely fertile for that sort of uh, thinking yeah exactly i I think so i mean at the time i wasn't really that engaged with anything outside of like my own wants and needs as a high school kid it's just like yeah i wasn't thinking outside my head no 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 i was thinking about you know chicks and smoking weed really (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and uh she yeah i remember sitting at around a thanksgiving dinner and i was you know and i remember like making just making fun of her just making sure. like saying like oh you're gonna eat i don't even know what she was eating i guess just straight tofu back then sure i mean there's no there's nothing no 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 yeah no vegetarian restaurants <laughs> no there's, there's no whole foods doesn't exist there's no concept of that no yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got safeway so so she'll probably be in the um the Asian section or like Japanese yep. food and buying a, a thing of tofu. And right, right. And then putting some different marinades on it. And that's pretty much the extent of her yeah. diet. Cold tofu and soy sauce. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and suffering. And I'm making and I'm making fun of her, of her <laughs> right. fucking diet. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, but I, you know, and I, I just, you know, I had no, there's no connection. No. I had no, like, empathy or, I, had no, I just didn't connect anything. It well, was I think like, it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard, especially, obviously, when you're in high school. Um, like, I mean, cause for me, like the whole identification with, uh, you know, like, I mean, I personally am straight edge and like, you know, like that, that whole world got introduced to me in high school. And like, I definitely started claiming those things before I really understood like what that meant outside mm-hmm. of, you know, my general headspace. I was just like, oh, this impacts me and this is what I want to do for myself. But you don't, you, you don't have the wherewithal to understand that it's like, you know, this is a, a larger topic at <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as you were as you were growing up, what did your parents do as you were growing up? Um, my mom was a school teacher. She taught English in elementary school. My dad um, was a nuclear physicist. Really? Um, so definitely the smartest guy I think I've ever I've ever met. And so he had high hopes. Sure. For his son to become some sort of engineer. I mean, he helped build the the fuel that allegedly put the uh, rocket on the moon. Wow. Um, and me and him were getting long discussions about the allegedly part because he was clearly something very close to his heart about right, how right. he uh, helped design this stuff. But um, you know, he had polio. He got polio when he was seventeen, so he was in a wheelchair the majority of his life. Had no wow. use of his um, left arm and his right leg. You know, so it was sort of like, you know, very limiting. So there wasn't much sports. No, zero sports. It was kind of like you know, use your you know, use your brain. Use this your is, brain. Yeah. This is kind of this what, is the best tool you have. Exactly. So, um, and I was always, so I was never like a team sports guy and I never really found my niche or anything. I was really interested in until like, um, I guess it was the sound star Wars soundtrack. It was the first album I ever bought that, oh, I, really? said, that I, that I actually listened and the music made me feel something. Yeah. It affected you. Know? you sure. Exactly. 
when I was in like, I guess, fourth or fifth grade. And, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of, you know, I played piano, played clarinet in the marching band, which is pretty fucking punk and dude uh, that, i i played clarinet as well for a year and it was a terrible terrible thing I hated it. yeah <laughs> it is hor horrific yeah um but yeah so i, I mean i i i latched on to music as soon as i kind of i mean it was queen was the first band that i got into but um but was music like was music important in your household like were your parents you know parents were super conservative my dad would only allow we weren't allowed to watch Solid Gold, like which was the disco right, station right. and like show in the seventies. We weren't allowed to watch really anything. It was really censored. <laughs> we were a super Catholic household. Uh -huh. um, you know, I mean, when uh, they caught a Playboy in my room, and it was oh like my gosh. it was a weekend of right. like, you know lectures and talks about what we do not indulge in the pleasures of the flesh till after we're married that's the, the, the sort of discussions you know right was, right you know conf, you know confirmed in eighth grade I mean, it was very religious strict household sure. and they you know um my so my dad definitely was not thinking that his son was going to be a guy that was going to be in a <laughs> rock and roll band. right like right thing. no for sure you know and um and ultimately you know when i started getting into trouble in high school and i started you know fucking around with drugs and um, uh -huh. and punk rock shows. I mean, my parents took all my albums away from me, ultimately. You know, I that can was, imagine, that was yeah. what that, that, To me, that's like, I mean, when parents, I, I think of any generation, anytime, obviously, parents, and this is something I'll ask you a little bit later, but parents see their kids doing something that they don't understand. Uh -huh. Like, just more so specifically from a subculture, you know, where it's just like, what is John doing going to all these, you know, concerts and shit? Like, they, they, you know, they have no concept for that because mm -hmm. obviously they didn't do that. And so that, you can easily see why their reaction is like, oh, yeah, if we take this stuff away, he won't be interested mm -hmm. anymore. <laughs> which, which clearly that worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the truth is they, they, did, they did the best they could. And of course. My, my dad and I, like, I guess we were probably okay up until, you know, fourth or fifth grade because I was a really good student and, and I paid attention. I studied. and Sure. Um, and then, you know, something just changed. And I think adolescence, and I'm not a psychologist, but my dad never mm -hmm. had an adolescence because he got polio so early in life when he was probably right when he was going through puberty, like it right. all stopped, like his whole um, nervous system got shut down because of the virus. Sure. Um, I don't think he could relate to anything. And it's, I'm sure it's hard yeah. for any parent going through ch children, of course, teenage children. But I think him especially just didn't understand. There was a different level of disconnect. Yeah. The rebellion, because when he was going through it, he he went to his parents for, they were everything. They, they took care of everything. They carried him. They, you know, they were his complete support network. Of course. And I, you know, when I became an adolescent, it was like my parents were the enemy. Of course. Like any other normal. Yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. And so they just, they couldn't grasp. And so I think I, it put, probably pushed me over the limit because they were, they were um, so strict. Yeah. And I rebelled probably harder against right. the strictness and so now that i have kids of my own it is it's going to be interesting right to yeah see what, kind of what happens my kids are, are, are really mild-mannered and, and i mean compared to me who's super high energy and, and sure you know, cr crazy opinionated right right right, um, right you know we'll see what happened but but yeah they were you know they they were they they did the best they could right and by the time i i became a musician they certainly were my dad was very unsupportive and, and now in hindsight at the time I didn't get like you're, you know, you explaining as an adult why they may take my albums away, thinking this may lead him away. Of course, from the danger. This is a barrier I am trying to set up 
in order to make this more difficult for my son, who I believe is going down the wrong path. Yeah. Look, I remember um, the On Broadway in San Francisco going to see the Dead Kennedys, and I saw them play a couple times as a kid. Yeah. But um, the first time I tried to see them, I was like 12, and I had, you know, there's no hot topic. So I've got no. gelatin and egg whites in my hair, my Liberty Spikes. Yeah. And I've got That's my incredible. leather jackets, my, my creepers that, like, I bought, like, third generation used right. for $30 at the time, which my mom was like, are you kidding? You know, and right. I was, you know, my, my parents are finally closed still. Right. And, I, you know, these blue suede creepers that I had on um, with my bondage pants. And I'm and they, they go to drop me off at the on-Broadway. And my mom gets out of the car and there's, you know, it's sold out. Huge line, line outside. Sure. It's all, I mean, we're talking like early 80s, like OG. No one has seen people that look like me. Not the way at all, we yeah, looked. Yeah. No, no one. Right. And my mom sees the line and she says, you are not going to that show. And my parents were going to a, um, an opera. And they were going to leave me at the show. The most me up drastic. Co- yeah. And so they made me go to the opera with them. Dressed with, like that? I've got my safety pin in my ear <laughs> and my Liberty Spikes and my leather jacket at the opera. That's incredible. And uh, I was, I remember just sitting there. I was just fuming. Like you could have seen the smoke coming off me. Right. Was, everyone's in their tuxedos. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm like his early 80s punk rock as you could get at that moment in my life. Right. Hating light. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure your parents too were just like. Way to ruin our evening, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, yeah, they were like, yeah, they're like, you're not going in. Yeah. Man, um, and that was a historic show, you know. The, this guy, Evan, was dating my sister at the time. And okay. when, when you watch, they actually filmed it. It was something like, it was like, they were either closing the on-Broadway or something was happening where it was like a historic kind of event. And in this video, you see my sister's boyfriend, Evan's like on stage the whole time with Jelly Biafra just to... <laughs> I mean, it's a historic show that I'm still a little bitter about, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you're like, to be honest, I wish I could have been there instead yeah. of down the street at an opera. But if they could see, if they could have had a crystal ball and they could have seen my life and, and, and how everything has right. worked out, um, you know, clearly they, they, they... Right. But but then again, you just, you, just, you never know. You, you never you know, know. You take a left turn, even driving here, if you would have taken a different turn, you just don't know how things could have been different. Of course, completely. And they, I mean, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, but... That doesn't mean that you would have reacted differently if that was the case. If you had even just like a sliver of that knowledge, like your parents probably would have reacted the same way because that's, like you said, they did the best that they could. Um, so when you were, uh, you know, kind of a two-part question thing, uh, when you were in high school, like you were saying, you know, that's when you started to, uh, you know, just whatever, get into music more and obviously we're going to shows. So like when, when was the actual like intro to sort of independent music after you obviously got the Star Wars soundtrack and that mm-hmm. started? Um, yeah. was, it, was it through your older sister? No, younger sister. Younger and, sister, um, I'm sorry. No, I definitely um, I definitely inspired her. This guy named Chris Caton that went to my high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman. So I was oh, friends okay. with his brother, Brooks. And Chris grew up in South Lake Tahoe. So he was definitely my um, my connection to that mm-hmm. whole world. He was in a band called Urban Assault, best friends with Kevin Seconds. Um, nice. And they were the first straight-edge band I'd ever heard yeah, you know, yeah. when I was a kid. And I didn't I, – I mean, as much as you maybe – connected with it i i didn't i didn't understand it on any level well and that, that yeah i think that was also i mean obviously it's like that that time frame too it's like you know i mean that that movement was still getting its sea legs so to speak and yeah. like understanding that yeah so I, I could easily see where it's just yeah. like i don't identify with that but the red album the minor threat red album and, and and um and uh and and seven seconds definitely influenced me because it was the first music that i heard that was like like fast fast i heard yeah, bad yeah, yeah. brains but for some reason i didn't really connect with Bad Brains because sure. I, as a singer, 
I wasn't like um, HR is unbelievably great, but it's like it's so he's so fast. Totally. And it was so hard for me at the time as a kid to grasp onto melodies. Right. Um, you know, and Ian had a very um, prolific way of saying what he meant. And, yep. and, and, you know, as great or bad as a singer as he is, he still, there were still melodies that you could really sing along to. Right, right. There's a catchiness involved to it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so he grew up in seven seconds. So my, um, so he turned me on to pretty much every every music when I was a freshman in, in, in high school. And, right. And Thrasher Magazine was a huge way that I discovered music. You know, all SST Records, Frontier Records, all those labels, Southern California labels at the time would all put advertisements in Thrasher. So right. that's how I would find my music. Right. And Chris, um, so Chris turned me on to, to so he, I put I put together my first band, Family Crisis, and he got. Oh, that us, was your that that was your very first band. My very first band's Family okay. Crisis, and we were like straight up like. I mean, we were somewhere between Social Distortion and Seven Seconds, like super fast, but like okay. kind of like a little melodic in a way, surf punk kind of, okay, yeah, very very melodic. And then the songs, I still listen to, and I go, "These are like they're cool. you're like it's cool this songs. isn't bad, this yeah. isn't bad at all." <laughs> if I was listening to this demo, I'd be like, "Yeah, you know, don't don't quit yet," you know. If I was talking to myself, but sure. So he put us on the road. So we actually went on tour, and I was in high school, and we went on tour with Seven Seconds. You know, we played shows. Should have oh shows really? Religion. And I remember, you know, was this like, was this like freshman sophomore year? Or was freshman this... sophomore. Wow, yeah, that's so... incredible. How did your parents react to being like, "Yo, I'm gonna go on the road for a little bit"? Like, well, was this? I was, imagine it was in the summer, I mean, Chris, probably. Chris and Brooks, the two brothers, that they, they, I mean, they had parents that were like in the community that my my parents would be able to talk to. So, oh. so yeah, summertime. We get in a van and go do Got it. do these things. But it's somewhat of a safe environment that they because these other kids in the community are being involved. Yeah, that, you know, John is John's in good hands. But this was before. Um, this was really before my parents. Um, they connected my trouble with punk rock. And, Got it. And you know, I remember like um, you know uh, Dennis and John, Dennis Daniel and John uh, Maurer from Social Distortion actually came to my house when I was a freshman. And I had my little rehearsal set up like in the garage for Family Crisis. Okay. And they actually jammed like so. I jammed with Social Distortion. <laughs> right. When I'm like twelve or thirteen, and this is like hugely influential of, 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 of in my life of like what I want to do and, and social distortion de- of, of all the of all the bands that like influenced me they were the they were the number one they were the band that I saw Mike Ness and I said I want to I want to be doing that I want to be that okay I don't want to just do that right I want to be him <laughs> that's good I like that I yeah. that's funny that that because usually it's like you know there's a whatever a record or a show that where it's like I want to do that but you were you like I want to embody I mean because yeah my I mean anyone that watches another state of mind it's just like you watch what Mike Ness is and what he does, and you, I can easily see why how infectious it is to be like, yes, this oh, is it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. So they, you know, the, the guys like raided my house. My, we're in like an <laughs> upper middle class neighborhood, and they just raided the house. I took all the sure. food. My, my parents are like, what happened? And, but they, it's not <laughs> like you they, invite it's over? It's not like they destroyed it. Like you yeah, would yeah. imagine, like an old, like an, an early '80s punk band to do. Right. I mean, they were. They just I'm, took all the food. I'm sure. And <laughs> Did yeah, all just that, took yeah. all the food and and, 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 and we jammed and it, and it was uh, definitely a life changing experience. Like doing those shows with Seven Seconds and um, and hanging out with Social Distortion definitely changed my life. But so my dilemma, my real dilemma, because like punk rock definitely changed my life. Right. In so much as I found a group of people that I felt a part of. Sure. I didn't relate to my parents. I didn't relate to kids at my school, and I related to these. They, they were outcasts because I. You know, at this point, I'm starting to smoke weed. I'm starting to drink, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling like culturally and what they're saying, and just like 
fuck authority, right. fuck the government, fuck established, fuck, fuck anything that we, that we are not a part of. Basically. Right, right, right. It's right. just all about us. Yeah. Right? Um, but my dilemma was uh, I, 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 I loved like – I loved great melodies and I loved like pop music. Right. And at the time, you had to pick sides. That's There's true. No, yeah, there was no marriage of yeah. those two scenes. And it's not even right. as dramatic as Black Flag versus REO Speedwagon. <laughs> it's really like yeah. Black Flag versus Duran Duran. Sure. Like you couldn't be, you couldn't like punk rock and like New Wave. Yeah. No, and, that's true. There's said these huge lines in the huge sand. Line. Yeah, and yeah. I loved Duran Duran and I loved Wham. And that shit at the time, like that. People were like, "That is gay." As that fuck. was the yeah. That was the plague. We are not yeah. touching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, that was what everyone said. This is like you cannot. That that's you know. I mean, and, and arguably they were right because George Michael, you know, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Of I mean, course. regardless of his sexual orientation, right, right, incredible writer. And I wasn't like, that wasn't really what I was thinking. I mean, you Queen, just liked mu- You just yeah. liked the music, right? He's the best singer of all time, and I'm not. I'm thinking about it for the for the music, right? And so. I'm going to like, you know, and I remember getting knocked out at suicidal tendencies. I'm in the pit at suicidal and I get this guy like just, you know, stage dives on my head. And I get knocked out. I'm on the floor. They drag me out of the pit. Right. And, um, and I, and I remember that was kind of a defining moment for me. Like after this is probably like two or three years, like really in, mm-hmm. like I've seen so many punk shows at this point, right. and I, you know, and it's my life, but I got hurt. Like I got hurt right. in the pit and I'm like, um, Man, I'm not a jock. I'm not. I don't know if I'm cut out for this sort of. I've never gotten in a fight in my life. I'm right. just this kind of clarinet. This sort of in. like aggressive nature that obviously punk embodies. You're just like, I just kind of want to. I don't want to have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a thinking, you know, aggressive thinking man. I guess. Right. I definitely right. still relate to the anger and wanting to make change and and being pissed, just pissed off and having nowhere to go other sure. than at the show to take out your aggressions because you are being harassed by the right. jocks at school. And I'm sure that still exists in 2012. I'm sure there's still like the yeah. you know, the introvert versus the fucking captain of the football team. Sure, sure. Quarterback, whatever the fuck football is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And so that for me, I remember seeing that suicidal show and 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 go, and and really questioning who am I? Like really, who am I? Because I can't tell any of these people that the police are my favorite band because the police are truly the enemy. Mm-hmm. To I mean. I mean, Sticks is truly the enemy, but but the police were really the enemy. If you're, sure. if, you know, at a um, GBH show, oh you yeah, know, you can't like be like, oh, I think Sting's a great, you know, I just like the song. Right, he's a great musician. What? Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. That was what it was like. So <laughs> it was like, so I I kind of rebelled against the whole thing, and I'm like, okay. you know what? Fuck it. And I remember it was the same time Beneath the Shadows came out. Tsol's third album i guess oh, sure, they sure. had the ep um, yep. and then dance with me mm-hmm. and then they kind of went new way new way to, they for had sure. and a lot of those bands did like even yeah, yeah. bad religion had um yeah the, the lost record they call it yeah yeah <laughs> for I mean, sure a, a lot of those bands started questioning mm-hmm. what is it so when people talk about the southern california punk rock movement it's really like their first album like you know oh for Sugar sure jerks group sex or the adolescents yeah new this album. time frame yeah exactly and that's it right but, but as much as like and when goldfinger came out um, there was a this huge article in Maximum Rock and Roll, like four page article. I don't know if you remember Maximum Rock and of Roll. Of course, I remember. The print was so small; it was four yeah, yeah. full pages about why John Feldman is not punk rock, and really, and why you know I'm doing it for the 
for the you know for the money or because Green Day was successful or all like whatever it was and it was so at the time it was so hurtful as as a kid in his twenties right that like and they were right I mean they're so right that I I didn't hear group sex and say this is all I am when, right. in 1981 I didn't stick with that music until. 1993. I didn't say this is all I listen to, and mm-hmm. this is the only kind of music that I think is good music. Sure. I definitely strayed from the pack for sure. Right. And that's what they're claiming that like I was in a I was in a funk metal band like the Chili Peppers kind right, of thing right, I was talking right. about, and that all this stuff that I'm I'm not well, arguably I guess I'm not allowed to play or say that I'm like a punk rocker or play that kind of music. Right. Because I was in bands that played other kinds of music. That's so funny. It's funny that you say that because it's like now you look at uh, you know, kids' music tastes in general, and it's like you're obviously allowed, allowed, quote unquote, to like so many different bands, and like the concept of you being, you know, forbidden to listen to one band because you are part of this scene. You know, I'm sure it still exists to some extent. Um, like you, you may be looked down upon if you listen to, you know, a day to remember, and you like, you know, whatever this, you know, this controversial band, whatever. But the fact that it's like you had to make that definitive choice where it's like, all right, like I'm having to step away from this sort of, you know, punk rock movement because I, I like this other music. And it's mm-hmm. like that those I, I can guarantee that those choices don't exist now where it's like kids have to make that. No, they, they don't. I, I remember being at the demo. I mean, I still went to punk shows because I still love those bands. Of course. Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables affected me. Well, it was your, Just, to me, it was the way that you're describing it, it's it's you identified with the culture you liked the music but it was it was that feeling that feeling of rebellion that feeling of you know this needs to be channeled somewhere and like i want to act on this but i also want like you know there's other sides of my personality and my own personal preference that i need to have as well as opposed to just this like myopic vision of like okay i clearly can only like these bands that are presented in front of me yeah i love how ani defranco has that song 31 flavors you know that that's what she is like she's not yeah. She's not just one thing, and that's all that defines her. And as a kid, I couldn't, I didn't have the clairvoyance to say, yeah. this is what it is. But <laughs> but you had, like I said, you had to pick sides, and I was, and I wasn't able to because right. I was too influenced by great songs, and sure. that influenced me more than the culture at the time mm-hmm. of punk rock. I remember being at the, at the Democratic convention seeing the dead kennedys play outside right and i remember seeing like the riot police on their horses and you know feeling like i guess looking back feeling like man i felt part of a movement but the movement superseded the the music to me of course and saying something speaking out against the wrongdoings of of the government meant meant more to me as i when as i was getting older right then then the music did to a certain extent, which I think led a lot to my um, involvement with animal rights as I as I as I got older. Sure, but um, but it is it it, it it's just and you are right. I, I see these bands now that are able to say I you know I like August Burns Red and Kesha. Right. And, yeah. And exactly. It's not like it's not like wait who's you're gonna get shot if you no. say that out loud. Yeah. But, yeah. Like I when I couldn't say that I loved staying as a kid. Um, now it is very very different. Totally, totally. And it's, it's, it's also funny that I think you, you, I mean, you said something right there where it's just like the, obviously you feeling like you were part of a movement and essentially what punk was at that time was a soundtrack to that movement, you know? And realistically, it's like now 
so many there's obviously so many different interests and so many different movements and everybody has their own soundtrack to that particular movement like of course it could come out of a culture um but you know each each person has defines their own rebellion by you know whatever music that they're listening to at that time whether or not it directly influences that so it's just it's it's funny you're saying it kind of superseded it where it's just like i want to be a part of this yeah but i also want to like different music <laughs> no absolutely but all the all those cultures that came out and even like i mean any any kind of movement like i am i will never be part mm -hmm. of it like i am definitely friends with brett gurowitz and tim armstrong right fat mike i'm definitely friends with these people but i will never be that because as entrenched as those people were in the culture right of punk rock historically for for all of their career i just was never that and i will never be that right and i remember being at warp tour after that article came out like in 96 and i remember um a couple guys as you know and i was you know i'd been selling shoes for so long and right I'd been like doing my thing yeah i finally like wrote this song that connected with a lot of people here for sure and I remember walking through, the, through this tunnel at Warp Tour down in, in Irvine or whatever it was that year. And, yep. and, just, and these guys are like, you don't belong on our tour, fucking sell out. As I'm walking down, I'm by myself and there's a group of them yelling at me. Yeah. And I know who they were. I'm not going to fuck. It's just. Yeah, you're not going to out them. At the them, time, but... mm -hmm. I was like, I was so like hurt. I was so like, holy shit. Like I've worked, I, I mean, I work for $6 an hour and I've spent my whole life. Right. They say 10,000 hours, right? Before you can really be a master yep. of the trade, 10,000 hours. And at that point, between the Love Hogs family crisis um, rehearsals, I had put my 10,000 hours in from like 12 to when we got signed when I was like 26. Right. Um, and I just felt like, you know, where do I fit in it and who am I? Uh -huh. But now that I'm an adult, I know who I am and it's right. all good now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know. And, and I and I try and I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to talk to these kids that you know, and you know it's always a competition. There's never like really a community. There might be a tour of bands that are like bros drinking buddies or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. always a competition. Of you, course, there's the an unspoken one. competition, even if you're friends. Like that's just that's just the way that the music yeah. industry is obviously built. Never want the opening band to outshine the headliner. No, if no you're way. A headliner. Yeah, yeah. You know they'll figure out some politically correct way to kick you off the tour eventually or like for sure create enough drama online or bullshit so yeah. it still happens and so like as because obviously as you know i wanted to hit on the you know you obviously like you know here in your bedroom like you were mentioning where it's like you since you had come from such obviously an independent music background and then obviously you know being put through the system so to speak um, and you were getting so many of these, you know, mixed messages from, you know, obviously, you know, the interest of the record label to the interest of obviously the way that you produced songs and the way that you wrote songs versus the community that was, you know, shunning you and obviously, you know, throwing a bunch of shit your direction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I mean, it sounds like you were obviously in the middle of like this, this, you know, growing up in sort of an identity crisis in a way within yourself where it was like, where do, where do I belong? Where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um... And look, as much as people on their, if you look at someone's iPhone, yep. I mean, they may have, you know, a Cradle of Filth and Katy Perry on the same yeah. iPhone. Right. They still want their bands to be part, compartmentalizable. Of course. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They want to be able to say, I'm working out. Here's my workout music. I'm chilling out. Here's yep. my chill out music. They don't want their artists. They, they don't want Sgt. Peppers. No. Audience, kids, non-musicians that are fans of music don't want that much of an eclectic variety. Right. At all. So it's it's definitely more... 
it's been boiled down to this like you know as much as people won't aren't like picking sides you you can't really be as creative as much as you can like you hear the Gautier song when I first heard it, I go wow this is really amazing the instrumentation and the, and right. the arrangement of the song um, but his album isn't that and the album definitely did not succeed like the one song succeeded right you know where bands like mumford or coldplay like the biggest bands in the world now that still sell millions of albums right start to finish they sound like the same band same right. instrumentation same yep. style of music you know right 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 and kids that's just what kids want so it's it's interesting the dichotomy of where we started from sure. to where we are, but yet we still haven't really like come to this place of like allowing artists to really go all the way. Which is why I think people like Trent Reznor ultimately mm-hmm. just say, "I'm gonna, you know, I have to, you know, I have to get out and you know, do be a composer of film or do something different than being locked inside a box of like their fans demanding because my fans demand me to write ska punk." Yeah. No matter how I break it down, right. I've made a pop record. It failed miserably. Like Disconnection Notice was our worst selling Song album. Record, it didn't, sure. it didn't, wasn't like reggae or ska or punk at all. It was like a kind of a you know Foo Fighters police album. Sure, it did sure. not connect with our audience who wants to hear ska punk. They right. want to recreate their vibe of being 14, smoking pot, playing <laughs> pro skater. <laughs> right. right? That's what yeah. they want. You for know? sure. And they for want to sure. come to the show and have that same energy that they did when they saw us and 96 and, and look you live and learn and i want to win i want to make if i tour i want to be successful tour and of I want course the fans to be happy right i'm not out there to try and play a bunch of new songs that's completely off the charts different yeah, yeah 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 but this is all stuff that only comes through experience and young bands still don't really get it you know sure. a lot of times they have a successful first album and then they say well we have to grow as artists we want to be this is now who we want to be and yeah we want to play to a different audience we want to get this you know we want to capture a different fan base or whatever and they all say the same thing all the bands say the same thing they totally do. They say, um, they all say we hate the kind of music, other bands, the kind of music we play. They say we're not part of the scene. We don't relate. To, but they have, they all, like most of those bands that I work with, they come from the Warp Tour Screamo thing. Of course. They sound like they're a Screamo band. Right, right, That's right. That's what they are. Yeah. But they say, you know, and they all say they don't like that sound. And it's like, and I said the same shit. It's not like I said I like the com- contemporary bands. Right. I mean, I never... I mean, I don't. I mean, I love No Doubt. And I love Real Big Fish. It's not like I said I didn't. But I, whenever I talked about influences, it wasn't like bands well, yeah. in the air. It's always oh, of course, cool bands from the totally the era totally. before. Yeah, yeah. Know. You obviously you you need to you know present yourself as a you know a, a musical scholar, and you can't just be like, oh yeah, like you know Goldfinger. Like we heard No Doubt, and we thought they were pretty cool, so we just decided to start this band. Yeah. <laughs> like people would be like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is terrible. It doesn't make sense, but it's so true these days, though. Yeah. It's so true. People don't play an instrument and then they hear asking Alexandria and yep. they get a computer and they just program it to sound like it. And that's what it is. But then, yeah, but it's more so now that people don't like, I remember working with, and it's nothing against attack attack when I was working no. with them. Yeah. I was talking, I was like, I think I said like, I want to, I want like a John Bonham kind of break. He's like, who's, you know, who's that? I'm like, like this, like a Stuart Copeland thing. And he's like, who's that? Oh, it really had right. Like no, like no frame of reference. They just didn't know, and it's right. nothing against them, but it's, I think it's just um, culturally, mm-hmm. we're just in such a different um, era now where it is so about now, right this second, yep. you know, where they say that the Twitter imprint lasts five minutes, you know, when you tweet something that's about the average. Right, right. And I think that's kind of what it is culturally. People, like, think about the five minutes that's important, you know, and that's sure. what they learn. Right, right, right. And so, like, as you were... Um you know, kind of going back to obviously like when, when things were, you know, just exploding for you. And like I said, like, you know, you were, 
it's so tough because it's like, you know, you were, you know, well, like you said, in your mid twenties and essentially, you know, you're still growing up at that time. Like you still have no concept of like, you know, you may have a little concept of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so, you know, as you were kind of, you know, coming out of that, you know, insanely large record, um, you know, did, were the impressions generally positive, like from your perspective of like, all right, like I was able to define myself a little bit better after this, this journey, so to speak. I mean, I think, uh, I think things because in the first few shows that I saw, it was so new. No one really knew what to think of of punk rock, and right. And there was like daytime. I remember Fear played on some daytime. Oh yeah, they played a SNL, right? No, no. It, they, maybe they did. I, I think they did, but whatever. I'm talking about experience. like like it was like a Maury Povich kind oh, of show. Oh sure, sure, sure. And I remember <laughs> like knowing about it and staying home, like like figuring out a way to see that. It was so exciting. I remember right. going to the midnight showing of decline of Western civilization at the movie theater. No one knew what the fuck it was. Right, right, right. And and so it was so it was so new. And so by the time that it came back again when 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 Goldfinger was taken off ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Right. Um, like it was so like in stone that this is what it is. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Fat Records and, and Epitaph was, you know, anti major label, anti radio. Right. It was like really like it was it was the counterculture sure. at at the time. And I wanted to be on the radio and I I wanted to play in front of I wanted to play festivals where sure. I think the ideology of what a lot of those bands wanted was very different than what I wanted. And so and then so I had the battle with myself of like I want to fit in. I want people to like me. I want these bands. Yeah. Like when I was at Nana like I would literally stack eight Bad Religion CDs in the CD player and people that work with wouldn't know as they would go because they all sounded so similar. It'd be like one after the next, and I'd have like four hours of bad religion. Right. And I'm, you know, and this is like, you know, what's def- what's defining me in the in the you know kind of late '80s, early '90s, and and, and 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 getting me back into the music that shaped me, like the social distortions and the buzzcocks that helped sure. shape Goldfinger. What it was, it all kind of came together. Right. Um. And then when all those bands. Not all of them. Right. And I felt like I was like shunned because I was on the radio and that's what I wanted. Right. I was still trying to figure out, you know, who I was. But then I started, you know, I started connecting with, you know, it's not like Sugar Ray were ever a punk band, but they, I mean, the Shrinky Dinks, his old band. Of course. Yeah. Used yeah. to, used to um, open for my metal band, the Love Hogs, all the time. Right. And so I knew them. And so then they started having hits and then no doubt started becoming a commercially successful band. Then there right. was like, kind of a different sect of bands that like I wanted to put myself align myself with. Sure, sure. That wanted that. Yeah. You know, and so the conversation started being different. Like how do we succeed? How do we still become a great touring band and be on the radio? Right. And have success a- across the board and play the major label system which I was still kind of at the time I had no, oh, yeah, no you're, clue you're about. Totally. Just trying to figure it out as you go. Yeah, and and, and still be I guess, um, credit, you know, um, true to myself, of course, right. My vision, which, which really was to be an amazing live band mm-hmm. to play every show. Like it's our last and to have songs that people that will stick in people's minds, like hooks that will, won't go away. And that was right. sort of my unwritten agenda for my band. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, um, by our third record, I knew who we were by stomping ground. Sure. You know, it took, you know, I think the, the, there's a, Darren's Coconut Ass is our uh, right. covers record. And sure. I think that record helped me. It was the first record I had complete control of production and mixing and, okay. and the whole thing. The first record I co-produced, mm-hmm. didn't mix. Second record I produced and didn't mix. And then, and then this EP, 
because she was all covers. I did everything. And then that helped me say, okay, I know how to control and manipulate my sound to make me sound like I want to as a singer. Right. And produce my band the way I wanted to. So by our, by, um, stomping ground, I felt like we, that was were, we were who we were. And right, I was right, like, right. I don't care anymore. Like the yeah. whole punk thing or like not being punk is like whatever. It's about music. Right, right. And that's it. Plus, it's like a lot of those arguments and conversations are just, I mean, they're moot points because it's like a lot of the, the people that shout the loudest, I find, in whatever it is that they're trying to shout for, um, especially when you're in your formative years, you know, they end up giving up two or three years after, you know, or they just fall out of the scene. They fall out of playing music. Like, you know, they, they basically turn away from everything that they obviously did as a teenager because they feel like, all right, well, I need to move on with my life. I, I need to like take that definitive next step where it's like, all right, you know, here's a, here's a signpost. I need to become an adult. I got to stop this kid shit. Um, whereas like, you know, people like you, it's just like, well, no, like that kid shit's my life. Like that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what you've always signed up to be and do. Yeah, man. And, I, and it was like, I, I studied, I'm an Anglophile like any other musician in Los Angeles is, you know, and so I studied English culture and I remember thinking about the mods and the rockers and the teddy boys and the punks, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was kind of their, those were, the, that was their gangs. Their sure. gangs were defined about music. Right, right. right. When I moved to LA, like, yeah, I mean, I guess gangs were kind of def defined. I remember right when I moved here, NWA was like oh, yeah. blowing up. So it was definitely like music was part of the gang culture. Oh, of course. But thinking about like how important music was in England versus where I grew up was a, was a big deal sure. to me. And and I remember one of the albums my parents took away was um, this import Stray Cats album that I bought, you know, before they had, I think there was like Greatest Hits was their first American oh, sure. record. Oh, sure. Right, 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 right. White, white album with the three of them sideways. Um, I think it was called Runaway Boys, but it was like, mm -hmm. I, I, and I remember just like, like, Culturally and, and, and image wise, like I was, um, I was, I was influenced by the whole thing. Right. And I and I remember at the time when my parents took that album away from me, I was just thinking, like, how is this? How is this really good? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, there, there's no profanity. They're not like talking about the government or right. authority. They're just like singing songs that sound like Elvis. Like, how is this? How, how is this going to just be like you know what's going to set my world on fire? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of that stuff, like, just kind of combined for me, you know, at the time of just, like, being, like, just everything, like, like the way they sang and, and, the, right. and the earnestness of the vocals and the production all influenced me. And, and I didn't really know until I started producing my own music how mm -hmm. influenced I was by the sound of those albums of those days. And I would, like, I remember, um, I love the Avengers, which was a um, San Francisco sure. band, or maybe Berkeley, I think. Yeah. They were a late 70s punk band. Mm -hmm. I love them, but... There was a, I think it was rap music for rap people was the, the punk compilation that I had. I think it was volume two. Sure. They had the song Cheap Tragedies on it. That the version on the um, on the uh, compilation was uh -huh. way better than the version on their album. Sure, sure. And that kind of shit, like I don't think my friends it wouldn't put even together. Think about. Sure, sure. You know, it was just the same song, but the recorded version I liked better. Even Pay to Come. I think it was on the same album, the Bad Brain song. Yep. Um, I thought it sounded much better on the compilation than it did on the uh, on the album, and it's just like things like that stuck. Started to perk up your ears, where you're just like, "There's a difference here," and I want to know why there's a difference here. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so when you know, obviously, in kind of you know dealing with everything that you were dealing with once you you know once you started to become successful, like when did your did your parents have any grasp on what you were doing? Um, like, at, at what juncture were they kind of like, oh, like that's pretty neat what John's doing? <laughs> or are they still are they still at that point? You know, my, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess it, it would be one. 
I mean, like anyone says, I don't have any regrets. It's full of shit. I mean, everyone has moments in of their course. life that would that they wish that they could probably do better. And sure, be of course, improve more on. Adult, totally. You know what I totally. mean? Looking, looking back in hindsight, and you know, I wish I would have. I wish I would have resolved stuff with my dad before he died. I mean, for yep. sure. My dad, I just think that his pride and his ego never really allowed him to good job. To like relish in because, the success. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, and, and I say he did the best he could. I mean, with a man in a wheelchair that clearly had a fucking impossible physical life that, you know, was a stoic man. Right. Um, that, but as a teenager told me, you will never succeed in music. Yeah. Ever. You, like right at me you will never do this right um for him to say that and be so own that statement yep. and then have and watch him be wrong i think was as hard i think that was it was easier for him just to say i'm not going to acknowledge the fact that my son's successful right then it would be to say i was wrong mm-hmm. i think in the end for him sure sure and 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 i think there's part of it and and, and this is like i guess just as we go forward in life. Yep. When my dad did die, mm-hmm. I feel like there's part of my drive that died with him, like of having to prove him wrong and to say, "Oh, of course." That you know, you have this idea for me that I was not built to do as right. being a you know an engineer or some sort of scientist. Yeah, yeah. And and then proving him wrong and keeping to prove him wrong throughout the years was, a, a, I'm sure, a driving force. And it's not like I'm still not driven to be creative and driven to be successful but it's just a different way now right well there's a there's a different inspiration behind it because yeah Mm -hmm. totally i mean you see so much of what people especially you know people in independent artistic culture it's like a lot of it is obviously derived from the fact that you know people people whether it's parents whether it's society whatever they're just like you can't do that you shouldn't do that um and it, it it and then obviously once that you know once that goes away you have to derive inspiration from other places and that's just obviously like you said part of you know growing up and the human experience and everything um uh, two more things i want to hit on before we wrap things up where um cuz obviously you've i mean you've recorded produced mixed so many different bands and obviously like the writing process like you know when you sit down when a band is like we would love john feldman to write with us and help create music um and you've worked with obviously so many different artists from that perspective just sonically speaking um is it one of those things where it's just like you know you you obviously i imagine just approach each individual artist or band pretty much the same way that you would write your own material in regards to just like I want to make this as catchy and as accessible as possible, or do you kind of find try find yourself putting on like different hats for different people? I mean, uh, it's both. I definitely put on okay. different hats for different people, and sure. and I and I, de- and, and I definitely try and like start a session out with a um with an open mind of, yeah. of how it's going to be, and, and try and and if there's a one or two main writers, just try and kind of you know see where where are they coming from who are right. they like where, where what are their influences like what are they what's what are they going through right now like what's going to feel authentic for them to uh yeah because i mean because th- that process like i mean i've had i've had so many different friends that have been involved in the music industry that you know it, no matter what that's awkward where you're just like all right we're putting two people that don't know each other in a room and like all right create a song like you have to there is that process like what you're talking about where it's like all right, we got to get to know, know each other for a little bit in order to make sure that we're creating appropriate art, like you said, coming from a genuine place, not just like, all right, dude, let's pump out this, let's pump out this hit, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, 
I mean, I'm sure some people approach it like that. But I mean, it, it's sort of everyone's everyone kind of comes in here when it's just a songwriting session, thinking that like we got to pump out a hit. I mean, everyone's kind of prepped. Sure. These days, because they've by the time they get to me, they've usually gone through ten or twenty different co-write co-writing situations, and so sure. they kind of know what to expect, and they know the label still doesn't think they have the hit, so they're, right. they're hoping that I can help pull it out of them or give it to them, you know? Sure, sure. Pretty much one of those two things, and so when they come to me, it really is about that, but the process, every artist is different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a limited time, like I've got a second session starts at six, so we got to be out of here, Like, and so I know that, okay, I've got to come up, you know, typically I'll write a chorus first, or a concept first, or a hook first. Right. And we'll build the song around it as typically. And lately I've been trying to write lyrics first and ideas first. And music, music's pretty simple these days. I mean, mm -hmm. pretty much anyone that's a musician can kind of come up with the same four chords that you can write any number of melodies around. Sure. And that stuff comes quick, but the, the lyrics are the hardest. So I, that, that's why lately, last year, I've been really trying to hang out with the artists and get to know them. And kind of talk about ideas, and I'll be kind of sketching stuff out as they're yeah, writing yeah, yeah. different ideas, and when they're telling stories, and maybe something they'll say will just kind of strike it, strike me as a, as a hook or a, a right chorus idea. Sure. And um, it's, it's you know, but it's always evolving and it's always changing, and the creative pool that you kind of pull from, like mm. I've got, I mean, I like I have my influence. I do, like we talked about. Yep. And I and now I'm so grateful that. I had so because you know, we have our, our formative years, right? Of, of like course. twelve till twenty-five, where yep. really that's the music that, that defines. That's the bedrock, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like I can't play any. Like I'm working with this band, Blitz Kids, right now, and they're all like in their early twenties. I, I could never play them Jealous again and have them go, "This is amazing." They'd be like, "This fucking sucks. It this sounds is... like shit, and it's horrible music," is what they would say. Right. But to me. It's the oh. greatest, it's the most angry music of all time. There's no fucking new metal that's going to be better than right. <laughs> Jealous Again. <laughs> totally, totally. And, and, you know, and so by saying that, I'm so grateful that I have Jealous Again and I have Wham's first album as real influences to me as far as like, so I have a lot more to pull from than someone say that was, you know, the fucking, um, you know, that, that music Nazi that's like, only this is all you can listen to, this style of music. Yeah, yeah. Now, they're trying to write with other people where do they pull from but that being said as i get older i still it is still a limited pool of real influence i, I can listen to groups now and i and i i listen to you know alternative nation on satellite every sure. day and i and, and so i mean i know what i like still and i know what i don't like still i like i love of monsters of man and right. stuff i don't like right that being said it's not going to influence me the same way new music isn't going to like even the Gautier song that I think is brilliant right won't influence me the same way the police did oh yeah no for chance. sure no 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 and so I like doing co-writes because their influences if I take my influence and say this is what I would do and here's my melody and here's my music and then they take it and make it their own then it becomes something new right yeah then it's coming from an original, like you said, genuine place as opposed to something where it's just like, all right, this is legitimately a business relationship and, you know, we're, we, we're going to not care about each other in 10 minutes after we, yeah, because that's, because that obviously from from that point on, it's like they'll have a more, um, you know, holistic experience when it comes to obviously like, you know, playing in a band and actually create the creative process as opposed to like feeling like, all right, I'm just showing up to work here, you know? Of course. <laughs> yeah, and the last thing I kind of wanted to hit on because we, we spoke about it a little bit earlier is obviously... Um, did you see that documentary, uh, the other F word? That, yes. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Um, and I mean, I myself, since I'm a new father and like have been brought up in a similar scene to obviously what you have, 
um, the you know just the concept of obviously retaining the idea of like okay I've essentially been you know counterculture in a lot of the ways that I have lived my life you know from obviously like your diet your you know cultural upbringing and like it's not similar to what our parents had been brought up with um, and so like how how is all that sitting with you obviously as you're you know you're growing up fathering children and everything like that well I mean I had a really you know Jim from Pennywise asked me to be in the movie um, when yep. when we did Reading and Leeds together guess that must have been five years ago now mm -hmm. um and I, you know i'm like sure i give him my number i'm like cool and 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 i'm really, so my reaction when i first saw him was like why wasn't i in this movie now it brought up all that all that shit sure in the, um kuma had to enter the room of oh. course that's completely fine come on kuma um <laughs> she take over the yeah she's like i'm gonna go ahead and take over this seat um so uh, you know kind of brought up like am i you know even now even at 45 i'm still not like fucking punk enough to be in this which is which is funny that my brain would still go there but <laughs> i fucking, love that you're just like oh I, I i clearly didn't make the cut yeah but but art from everclear is punk and that, that's what i was thinking like uh, that dude that was i after watching that that's what i was like it, that seems strange because like i i think i have a better understanding of everclear's musical history and that doesn't really connect too much with the rest of the stuff but whatever yeah 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 so i'm a dad right i'm definitely a dad and, and i mean and, essentially i because everybody you know obviously everybody always everybody within my um you know age range like you know they don't they don't have kids like that's just uh, most people it's like you know around 30 ish they kind of seem to have a kid or whatever uh -huh. but so I essentially, I look at my life where it's just like, I've been doing the same shit since I was like 15 years old, like, you know, music-ish type stuff. Um, and so reconciling the idea of having a kid with essentially, I'm, I'm involved in youth and pop culture. And like, that's always going to be the case moving forward. And essentially you're the same way yeah. where, you know, you're, you're having to be as aware of all the new bands and all the new trends. And it's like, I, I was, I was in my, my daughter's four, she's at preschool and I'm, out of class and the teacher's like oh your daughter's got a boyfriend and like joke just just like joking about like that she has this 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 like she's best friends with this girl but she's sure. a friend that's a guy and they're like you know super like you know it's just like buddy buddy, buddy yeah, buddy, yeah. You know? and, and she's taking a picture and like resting her head on her shoulder and it's like and she says it and it's like i, I want to like pull my kid out of the school that day like that day just yeah, it's not even that, about that gut reaction. It's not even about. I don't think it's about me just saying um, I don't ever want to see my daughter date because I mean right. I know that's that's part of the the, the, the picture. But, right. But just the idea that that's even like a joke in front of her, like like let's let our fucking kids be, be kids. kids, right? And like there will be a time <laughs> where I will not be sleeping for weeks and weeks when you know I'm sure she's super cute now. Right. Her mom's super hot. <laughs> There's going to be things right. that'll happen in high of school course. or whenever that happens, you know, right. that I will have to deal with. But like even the idea in her head that like, oh, it's cute or it gets a laugh or it's funny that like you should have like a boyfriend at four years old is just fucking rude. It is. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, look, so many things and this whole circle of fucking how you are as a kid and fuck you, mom, fuck you, dad. And, right. and now you're the mom and you're the dad and you're going how the hell did my parents do this? Sure. Like I just, it's, it is so hard, man. Yeah. It is so fucking hard. And it's not like, cause you know, I'm old enough that it was really like, we were just talking about like the idea of even like that. I, so we saw the, um, after the Lincoln movie. Oh, sure. And you know, 
there are arguably people still alive. If the oldest person died at like 121 or something, there's arguably still people alive when people own people in America. Yep. Like when that happened. Yeah, yeah. And like we, you know, so my parents didn't talk about shit. And that's just everybody culture. You watch Mad Men and it's sort of like. Of course. You get these glimpses of what it was like culture. You just, you cannot relate if you're a kid thinking about the idea that no one talked about anything. Right. And so I never heard like. The stresses, I mean, it's, it wouldn't have been appropriate for my parents to talk to me about the stresses of ra- making a living. But right. nonetheless, like you never heard shit. So you're just growing up and, and then the 80s and everything was probably was pretty good and things were right. good overall. And now that you're like, you're really dealing with it. Like my kids don't give a shit about the recession or economy <laughs> right, or right, right. hurricane or anything. Yeah. They, my, they're too young to understand Skid Row. Right. You know, or, or, or anything, or Burma, or anything that really exists in the world. You right, know? right. And so um, it's my duty to say, you know, at some point, this is life, real life for the other 99%, the other, how the other, how most of the world lives right. at some point. But now is not the time. But like how to deal with like bands that want to work till 4 a.m. and then my kids get up at 6 and I want to, I want to take my son to school every day. Right. I, want to, I want to be there every second because there will come a time my son will not cuddle with me right. in bed. It just there'll come a time where that will not happen. I want every second. I want to suck right. every second out of that, like kissing my son on the lips. There yep. will come a time when he will he not, will not want to do that. that for sure. And I want every moment. So, so every night I go to bed after I work till midnight or one, and I go, God, tonight I'm going to let myself sleep for seven hours. And then it's six o'clock, and I hear my kids, and I'm like, I gotta see my kids, and I'm miserably grump, grumpy, and I'm t- I'm, I'm grumpy with my wife, but right. with my kids, I'm super stoked, and I take my kid to school, and we right. talk about Skylanders and Star Wars and math and English and everything, on you know, and the sun and snails and solar sure. flares and, and everything, and it's the best thing ever. Right. And and then I think about my, you know, my dad who's dead, and and, and like there's certainly a like we talked about regret earlier. Like yep. I wish. Yeah, I wish you could have lived for uh, for it to come all the way around. For right. Me, for me to really, because when I had my, my, my kids, he was here. He had met my daughter. Right. Been alive for about a year. You know, he died when she was about one. Okay. So alive enough for me to, to know, holy shit, I get have a glimpse of how hard this is going to be. Totally. But now that it's like, you know, he's got ADHD, he's kicked out of his private school, he's got to go to a different school, and he's fine, and it's all good. And, right. And it's but not yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're, dealing with, you're dealing with life. You're dealing real. with real. Right. Real shit. Real shit. When I talk to the guys in my band who are like, you know, they fucking bring up this stuff about like a $15 fucking um, dry cleaning bill. And I want to fucking, I, I literally, yeah, yeah. like, I'm fucking done. Fuck you all. And fuck this whole thing. Right. You have no clue what it's like to wake up at three in the morning every day for two weeks when your son has croup. And you think your son's going to die. And you're driving to the hospital and they're fucking injecting with steroids right. so we can breathe. Like, real life yeah totally shit. totally you know and so like i was talking about earlier when i've kind of i've kind of relieved myself of the pressure of being this perfect vegan perfect animal rights guy and i've kind of seen my world from a different lens yep. i've been able to do that i think a lot because of being a father and because of having kids yeah and as hard as it is i've able been able to not take life so seriously to a certain extent of course because i really don't have control man about mm-hmm. over anything sure over anything no i have control over my attitude and that's it yeah you have control of the way that you react to at, at, at things as they get presented to you that's that's the only control that you have nothing else man I mean, yeah 
we're talking about the, the, the hurricane that we were like, oh, this friend of mine has earthquake insurance. And he's like, well, if we had an 8.0, I'm like, dude, if we had an 8.0, he's like referring to an 8.0. Right. And, and the hurricane, and it's, and it's horrible as Hurricane Sandy is. Of course. Um, and my prayers and thoughts clearly go out to all my East Coast friends. It's, of course. It's still like you've got preparation time. It's a yep. whole kind of you know different um different mindset and then yeah. and the, the truth is that like we cannot control when a drunk driver may or may not hit us or the earthquake may or may not happen or, or yep. a, a meteor anything that life could, could bring us and all we could do is be the best we can be right now totally i i don't think that there's a better place to leave it off than right <laughs> that Sweet. was that was a very nice nice tied up together but Sweet. they I really appreciate it, John. This is awesome. Yeah. I, was, I was looking forward to this. Too, yeah. So. yeah, I just knew you'd have some very valuable perspectives to share. <laughs> well, thank you, people. All right. Well, uh, that was John Feldman from Goldfinger. And upon listening to that interview again and kind of editing it, um, it might be my favorite interview that I've done so far. Uh, he just is so real and so honest and... Um, yeah, his perspective is really cool, and I just uh, appreciate it on so many different levels. So I hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the show. Visit propertyofzack.com. And uh, come hang out with us next week. Another awesome interview. More interesting guests, interesting perspectives, stuff for you to put in your head, chew it up, spit it out, recycle it, understand the world around you a little bit better. So anyways, until next week, be safe.